0: So if, um, if your internal church clocks are going, um, you may sense that we're a little ahead of schedule today, which is intentional. Um, it's not so that I can preach extra long, though I gladly accept that challenge if anybody wants to lay the gauntlet down. Uh, we are going to uh, do something a little a little different in our approach, nothing crazy. But basically, you know, everything that we do here uh, in our time when we're, with the gospel, when we're sharing the gospel, when we're, we're preaching the word, um, it's not just like a, it's not a history lesson, right? It's not just a history lesson. It's not just information for us to take and, or even to be wowed by for a moment. As I say often, it's to be applied to our lives. And so, you know, today we are going to really take this last um, part of our series here, the Exile series, and we're gonna we're gonna be taught we're gonna, from the Word of God today, and we're gonna have a chance to apply it at the end. We're gonna have a time of of, of response of worship. And really, that's what this has all been about, you know, about the exiles, about all of these. This whole series is about worship and worshiping God. And, you know, again, as we've sung this morning already, already we, we serve a living God. Amen. We don't serve a God. We don't serve an image, you know, of, of a God who was and died and is buried somewhere. And that's the significance of our God uh, that we serve as Christians is our God. that tomb is empty. His grave is empty. And and again, we serve a God who's risen from the grave. Amen. And so that is our, our hope. And so again, we're gonna we're gonna do this and and I promise we're gonna wrap up the, the sermon portion a little early because we're gonna have a chance to respond. And I, I hope and I hope that you've just taken time to, to to process. Maybe you've gone back and listened to some of the messages of this series, because again, we walk in. <laughs> And again, our mornings have been crazy, our lives maybe are crazy, but when we walk in, it's, this is a time for us to really just be focused, to connect kind of our hearts with God's, amen? It's a time to lift up our praise, to lift up our voices together in one accord, to be encouraged. And I don't know about you, but I need, one of the benefits of sitting up towards the front, which there's always room up here, by the way, um, is, is you hear the voices behind you when we get to these songs, right? And you hear people lifting their voices. I don't know about you, but that's a huge encouragement to me. And it makes me want to sing louder. It makes me want to worship even more. And so, you know, that's my hope. And that's really what we're talking about here in this series is worship. If you remember, we began at the place of being uh, looking at the exiles, the, the children of Israel as they came out of their captivity in Babylon and they're being it's restored to worship is what we said. they're, 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 they're bringing, being brought back back to this place of Jerusalem of, of where God, you know his kind of presence was at that time, if you will. and he, they're bringing back being brought back and that's the purpose of it is to be restored, to be to a place. Do you understand that we have the privilege, As followers of Christ, because of the work of the cross, we have the privilege to worship God. We have the privilege to step into the presence of a holy God, where if it wasn't for the work of the cross and the blood of Christ, we would be struck down in a moment because of our sin. Because we are not clean in and of ourselves, are we? No matter how hard we try to clean ourselves up on our own, even after we come to the Lord, and just keep looking at me, even after we come to the Lord, we still think there's this something, and myself included, that, that I have to do something somehow to be found acceptable before Christ, before God, through Christ. But the reality is it's the work of the cross is perfect and it's whole and it's complete and we cannot clean ourselves up. Now, is do we have a part to grow in our walk with God that we, we, yes, we walk with him, we grow. Hopefully we're not committing the same sins as when we first came to Christ. And so again, that's, that's part of it. But that's the purpose is to be restored to this place of worship. Well, then we move to the reason to worship, which was, again, recalling God's faithfulness, right? How many here can say that we have reason to lift our voices to the Lord this morning? How many here can say this morning that you have at least one thing in your life if you need something, some content, I can help you. The fact that you're in here this morning, you woke up this morning, is reason enough to lift your voices. The flowers the creation, all of creation lifted their heads this morning and sang their, their songs to the Lord. I'm thankful for this beautiful weather and still hearing the birds and still seeing, again, the, the mums and the flowers, even the trees and their glorious splendor. I mean, I almost go off the road all the time because I'm always pointing out like all the colors of the trees to Leanna. She always gets to look and I don't. Um, but, you know, fortunately, I have, like the car that kind of bumps you back a little bit. So it helps me until I'm not driving that car, then it gets a little interesting. But um, but it's gorgeous. The drive in right now, it's just gorgeous. I mean, again, not a, this is a rhetorical question. How many, how many just paused this morning to take in God's splendor on the way in? Yeah, a few people. And, and again, I'm not, I'm telling you myself, we can get so busy in our lives, right? We just go by the beauty that God has laid out for us. And so again, there's this this returning to worship and it's, it's, re, re, it's recalling, sorry, re, the reason to worship, it's recalling and looking at all of God's faithfulness. And then there's this return to worship. Again, and this is going back to the generations uh, before and, and looking through uh, you know, our ancestors, if you will, our families, but also ourselves and how we're prone to wander. <laughs> how we're prone to stray and how we're prone to move away from God. And there's this need, as we talked about last week, there's a need for repentance. Again, that won't sell a bunch of books, <laughs> but that is a message that we've always got to come back to. And it doesn't mean we have to wallow in our sin or shame. But when there's sin in our life, we, and we're wondering why why, I, why, why is God far from me right now? Why, why does this feel so mechanical? A lot of times there's something in us that we just simply need to repent of, to bring to the Lord. Stop playing the games, right? My son Levi, who's a year old, you know, and he likes to play hide and seek, and you know, he goes behind an object like this table, and he'll stand here like and hide. And I can see his legs and I can see everything. And when I kind of stick my head, he kind of looks at me and smiles, you know, because he, will, he wants to be found. He wants to, he knows he's seen, but in his mind at times he thinks he's like, oh, I'm hiding, you know, and he's not because I see all that. And it's the same with God. And so God sees your sin. <laughs> he's just saying, let me take it. Give it to me. And so today we're going to finish our series here um, with what I would call renewed worship, this this renewed sense of worship. And I want you to take this today and I want you to walk out of this place. And even before you walk out, as we enter into our time of worship, you know, again, lifting our voices at the end of this service, I want you to do it from a stance of, can I be renewed in my worship today? Can I approach my time, my, my worship with the Lord? And again, I always want to make clear worship is not just voices singing. Worship is our lives. Worship is our hearts, right? As we if you look in the scriptures and in Jesus time there were the religious leaders and they did all the right things on the outside, but their hearts were far from the Lord. So the fact that we walk in this morning and you can sing your heart out and you can sing every note on pitch, if you're not engaged with your whole heart and it's not turned towards the Lord, it's empty. Is that fair? Sorry, I started out of the gate kind of excited this morning. I probably should have saved it for the end. I might be going a little fast, so. But but do you understand what I'm saying? We need to again. We need to walk into this place with our. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to get to church. You know, I can't wait to to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ, who we're going to spend all eternity with, by the way. Whether you like that or not, we're gonna we're gonna be together. And so we might as well get used to doing worship together. So again, there's this learning, this renewed worship, this learning, or some of us need to relearn what it means to worship God. To truly worship God requires the proper perspective of God's character, I touched on this just a little bit last week, but again, it's, it's about as we begin to look at God and keep our eyes focused on God, and you, you study, and you, you explore, and you, you begin to see just God and his greatness and how vast he is and how amazing he is, then our natural response, as I mentioned, of creation, the natural response, nobody taught creation what to do, right, when the sun comes up in the morning. It responds, doesn't it, naturally, and that's what we need to be like as well as we ex- explore and experience God in His fullness and His greatness and His love and His kindness. It's our response. That's why we worship. Until we can see that God's character is glorious, we cannot possibly approach God in worship. If you recall the Old Testament uh, picture of when the priest would go into the most holy place, right? And if you study that at all, and, you know, there was, there was a long process that priest had to go into and, and go through to walk into the holy place, the most holy place. There was a, a sacrifice. There was a washing. You know, they had, to, they had to move through different stages. And it was something not to be taken lightly. Why? Because, again, you know, they used to have, like, little bells on the bottom of their, their robes because if they went into the most holy place and those bells stopped... And a lot of times they say that there would be actually a rope around them or something or a waist so that, because nobody wanted to go in there and experience the same thing, so they'd have to pull them out. Why? Because they didn't take that time to cleanse themselves or to prepare their hearts to enter into a place of God's presence. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the work of the cross today, where there, again, is the blood of Christ is what covers us. But I do believe that there still is a a place of preparation that we should come through, that we should pause as we come into times of worship to understand that we are in God's presence. It's about moving our perspective from our situation, our challenges, and ultimately ourselves to focusing on God. And when we do that... (laughs) Very quickly we understand who we are and where we are. You know, God is great, God is awesome, God is this, I and mean, we're, we're here. It's kind creation. But the beauty of God is that He sees you. And He sees us right where we are. And you know, so far and in this series, we've been in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, but today we're going to shift our focus a bit because we're going to move from, to this, from this information, if you will, and hopefully some application, but definitely into a lot of application today. And So if we're wanting to really study and learn about worship, I think the best one of the best places to go in the Bible is the Book of Psalms, right? The Book of Psalms. Okay, anybody been there before? It's, it's wonderful. We're going to be in the Book of Psalms. It's your best shot if you don't know where it is. Because it's a huge book in the Bible, right? You just kind of plop it open in the middle. Typically, you're going to land in the Psalms. It's a book full of poetry and song, and it's all aimed towards, how us? But God, all right? It's broken up into five books, all right? So it's all these Psalms. There's 150 chapters, but, and, and many of them were written with the intention of being sung. And so I thought for fun we could sing through with this Psalm that we're going to read today. Does that sound okay? I'm just kidding, <laughs> um, but it would be fun though, but we aren't going to do that, but we are going to look at this, but it's interesting because, again, the, the, the perspective, right, that from the psalm, which the psalms are written, the perspective is on God, okay, and how many have seen the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? It's an old movie, I know. Raise your hands. I want to see who's, who's seen it. Okay, so at least I have some people. If you're, if you're younger here and you haven't, you need to check it out. I mean, the graphics probably are horrible today, but uh, it still was cool to, to experience, especially when it came out, right? You know, you, you experience something from a very different perspective, and the whole premise is there's this accident, and these kids are shrunk, you know, with this, like, laser thing, and you see all these things from their perspective, you know, when they're trying to cross the lawn, and an ant is, like, huge, and, and all of these things are happening when they're floating in a bowl of cereal and almost eaten, you know? Um, it's it's amazing when perspective perspective changes. But I was thinking about it, and it's kind of like you know that's really like us with God, isn't it? <laughs> I think a lot of times we see ourselves as the the full size people in that, but really we're just we're looking up, and God is just this huge person, this huge um, you know I don't want to say thing. But he's a huge this this the God of the universe, right? And so, you know, that's kind of the, the but where we need to be is, is understand where our perspective. And it's really interesting, though, with, with Psalms, is that it's written from the perspective of humanity's approach to God. How do we come before a holy God? Theologian um, Walter Brueggemann he explains the Psalm this way: he says the Psalms resonate well with people because of the essential connection human beings have. He goes on to say the Psalms, with a few exceptions, are not the voice of God addressing us. They are rather the voice of our own common humanity, gathered over a long period of time, but a voice that continues to have amazing authenticity. It speaks about life the way it really is. For in those deeply human dimensions, the same issues and possibilities persist. And so that's why I think people are always drawn to the Psalms. If you've ever been in a season, a difficult season of life, you know, the Psalms are a great place to go because it's just, yeah, you know, you're like, yeah, I get it. You hear those questions, right? And I say, I say often, you know, it's not we have no right to question God, but we can bring our questions to God. Just like the song we sang today, How Long, O oh Lord, right? We didn't sing, you know, Lord, what's your problem? Why haven't you done, moved yet? Right, I don't know how that would sound with all the voices joined, but that would be wrong. But instead, we can in in where this is written from. Again, it's it's this place of great tension and great pressure, and like Lord, how long before you 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 relieve us of this of this this discomfort? And so we can bring our questions to God, but we cannot question God, in the fact that He is sovereign. So we're, today we're going to be in Psalm 145, right towards the back of the book. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. If you don't, it will be on the screens. And this this psalm has been used frequently, both in Judaism, but also in Christianity. And an interesting note is it's the only Davidic psalm. Davidic is a fancy way to say that David wrote the psalm. Davidic psalm who, uh, again, superscription labels it as praise. All right. So if we want to know about praising God and worshiping God, this is the place to go. Now, we're gonna move into this time and we're gonna, again, we're gonna kind of just walk through this instead of reading it all up front like I do often. We're gonna kind of walk chunk by chunk and work our way through this psalm. Um, But as we do, let me go ahead and pray and and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for each person here uh, in this place, each person watching online. God, I thank you that um, you are a God who sees us this morning, who is present with your people. And God, we are grateful for that. We recognize you, Lord, as Lord over all this morning. And God, I pray that you'll anoint uh, this vessel to, to, to proclaim your word, and God, that it would truly affect and, and penetrate to the depths of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, as we prepare to jump into this, you know, uh, we're in the middle of this, uh, at my house, a kitchen remodel, okay? Kitchens, I don't know if you've done that before. It's a very interesting journey. Um, because the kitchen is sort of the hub, at least in our home, because we like to eat. And so that's sort of the place. And you know, it kinda, it goes on and on and on. But the thing that I've found is there's like this logical order that we should do things when, so we're getting ready to move back into our kitchen because we had to gut it because we ended up redoing all of our cabinets. And my wife will tell you, this has happened, this is part of how we've grown as a married couple, um, is you know, she oftentimes in houses past uh, she'll go in and, and she'll put everything in the cabinets. And everything away. I'm a very methodical, logical way I see things to, think, to the point where I'll come in and I'll pull everything out of the and everything, and I'll put them in an order that makes sense. And you're okay with it, right? No, she's not. But I think she's come to a place of acceptance that this is going to happen. <laughs> And it's just, you know, so if I'm standing at the stove, you know, I need my spices here, I need pots here, and my popovers here, it just sort of, like, it makes sense. And I think a lot of times my ideas are pretty good. It's it's just an adapting, wow. you know, style. I'm <laughs> you guys are all facing this way. Exactly fine, so. um, but there's a logical order. And so, I say all that, not to confess or profess anything to all of you, but just, as today, as we approach this, I came across uh, one of the commentaries had kind of this sort of in a logical order. It broke down the psalm into sections, which I appreciated. So, um, I'm going to share that with you today. And the first one was verses 1 through 2, Psalm 145. And the commentator uh, from the folks on the Bible commentary said that this was a section on exuberant praise. I don't know if I use the word exuberant on a day to day basis. I don't, but I think you understand the concept of it. And so let's jump in here. Verse 1. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Now, there are a few terms here I want to just pause on. Uh, the first is extol. Right? And then it comes from the root word, a Roman. Right? Which sounds kind of like a and that's where we get that word from. But it means to be high and exalted. Right? Extol. High and exalted. Another word there that seems probably simple, or we've heard it often, is bless. Bless. And that word is a Baraka, a Baraka, and it's to speak words of excellence about, it. okay? So bless, so you think about blessing somebody. And I'm not talking about blessing somebody out like you do in the South. But, you know, blessing somebody is to speak words of excellence about somebody, All right, That's what it means to bless. And lastly, this word praise. Again, these are words that we probably say all the time. We probably even sing them in our songs, don't we? But do we understand what they mean? So I'm just going to not make any assumptions for all of us today, and we're going to start from this place. And so praise is a hollow. And again, hala. Well, let me just, wait one second. A hala in praise, it means to be boastful, okay? okay? To be boastful. And I'm going to come back to that. But, but a hala hala sounds like... Come on y'all went to sunday school hallelujah right <laughs> holla 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 back holla what hallelujah right hallelujah thank you all five that got that hallelujah all right hallelujah means praise yah is the short version of yahweh so hallelujah right and when we say that we're saying praise yahweh and so again this praise to be boastful again Throughout our lives, and I'm doing the same with my kids, you know, we talk about don't boast, you know, don't be, don't do that, you know, like the whole grown up on the playground, you know, my dad will beat up your dad kind of thing. It's okay to do it in this case, right? It's okay to talk about our heavenly father. You know, you think about David and Goliath is what I think about. And David, remember, he shows up and he's kind of sitting there looking like, why is nobody out going out and shutting this, this, I want to say words today. But this, this jerk down, right, this big guy that's making all these accusations and saying bad stuff about our God, why is no one doing it? And so David's like, I'll do it, you know, because he's, he's boasting in who his God is, who that he serves, right? So we don't have to be afraid of anybody. And so again, so here's, here's three words that we need to understand. And David recognizes his need, again, here to, you know, he, to praise the Lord all the time. It's funny, you know, we talked about David and Goliath there, but this, David's the one penning this, this psalm and you know he's talking about his need to praise the lord all the time both long term forever and ever and short term every day and that's you know you see that uh, in this in these just these two verses whenever you see something repeated it's it's for a reason it's important and twice in two verses it says forever and ever so this is, there's something very great behind what's being said. And again, we only get these words on the page. We can't hear or see David's face. We can't hear his voice today and understand how much that he's pouring himself into this statement. But he is. Exuberant praise. Remember that. And David's God, again, is so great in his eyes that he alone deserves the title king. Before him, David is just an ordinary subject. And as many of you know, David would become King David one day, right? He was an earthly king. But he never saw himself as anything compared to God, his king and Lord. And so again, David sees his God the way that way, and he's worshiping with exuberant praise. Verses three through seven, we're going to take a peek at that now. So from exuberant praise, we move to reasonable praise. Maybe this is more for some people here. a little, little easier to come into, right? Ex- uh, just reasonable praise. Again, reason, you know, if, if, if in the wintertime you walk into a home and it's warm and it's cold outside, like your reasoning would say, well, there's probably heating in this home, right? That's what reason. It's, it's a response to, to kind of what you're seeing or given. And so he, in verse 3, it picks back up. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Verse six, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall single out of your righteousness. You see, it's, it's kind of, again, this reasonable Praise, meaning there's these, these, these moments of where David is recognizing God's awesomeness. You know, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, your wonder, wondrous works, the might of your awesome deeds, your greatness, your abundant goodness, your righteousness, these are all big phrases, right? Doing the best that he possibly can to use a human language to describe uh, a heavenly, holy God. And we all know we're gonna fall short if you know, trying to, de- to describe God of this universe. But David is doing the best he can, and we see just all of these awesome descriptions, and it warrants, if you will, a reasonable praise, which would be our response. And so David's response is, again, one generation shall commend your works to another, shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate, they shall speak. I will declare your greatness, and they shall pour forth the fame and they shall sing aloud. Again, these are all actions on what we can do as we begin to see how amazing and how awesome God is. God is most worthy of praise because he's not just great in the way some people are called great. (laughs) That's a word I think that's gotten overused these days. God is, again, great. And again, in a manner far beyond this, his greatness is unsearchable, as David says or unfathomable, uh, you know, depending on your translation. So, I mean, it can't be grasped. If in your mind, and again, I can, I know that at times, maybe even without saying it, I I can function, if you will, or live my life in a way where I sort of have God figured out. Right? Anybody with me? And we, we, we function sort of like, yeah, I got that. Maybe you've grown up in the church your whole life. You've heard every sermon, and you've heard this one preached 10 times in the past. But the amazing part is that God is so much greater and so big, it's, it's, he's endless. We will never fully grasp who God is with our big chunk of flesh or whatever stuff that sits in here. You know, as, as brilliant as minds can be, we can't grasp an ama- amazing, almighty God, can we? The one who holds a universe in the palm of his hands. God is awesome. And we see here that it's not enough for David and those gathered at the feast to acknowledge him and his greatness. It, it must be proclaimed to every generation. And I think that this is maybe an area that we need to grow in. It's hard. It's hard. And it's hard, you know, with, we're competing with other things now in a much greater way than ever before because things kind of can come crashing into our homes, into our families, you know, through lots of devices and the outside world kind of comes crashing in. And if we don't make an effort to proclaim God's goodness to our children and to our children's children, you know, things are gonna continue to, to, that we're gonna see them fall away and wander. Now, again, God's great and good and he can bring them back at some point, but we have a responsibility. And this is why, you know, when we hit these times where, Maybe there's some complaining or something going on. And I always try to bring our, our family or my boys, especially back to that place, some places where we've been a kind of our backs against the wall. And we, didn't, we couldn't do anything. And we, we, we prayed and we saw God's hand move. We saw kind of things happen that should not be possible, but God made a way to, for it to happen. And so we always have to come back to that place of again, how, how great God is. And we help you know, them to bring their memory back to that place to proclaim to them how great God is. From reasonable praise, we move to verse eight, which would be called universal praise, praise which means it applies to everyone, okay? It applies to everyone. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse nine, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give, th- <laughs> sorry, give thanks to you, O Lord, And all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Again, this echoes back to Exodus 34 where it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him. This is talking about Moses. And proclaim the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. It sounds really amazing. And it is, and that is who God is. And if you stop there, you will get not a full picture of, of who God is. If we continue, it says, but who will by no means clear the guilty? visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What does that mean? It means that there were consequences. There are consequences for sin. You understand that? Whatever, let me start with a very obvious. If I were to go out and, you know, commit a murder, that's sin, right? Everybody agree on that? there's going to be a consequence that comes. I would probably go to prison or could be worse. But let's say I go to prison. I have now a consequence. Now in prison, can I repent of that sin? Sure. Will God forgive me? If it's genuine, do I still have a consequence? (laughs) Yeah. Now let me say this to you. The same applies to whatever sin it is that you or I do that people don't see. There are consequences. And we think that we're getting away with something. We think that, well, it's not really hurting anyone. But trust me, it is. Whether you're gonna see it now or you're, you may see it in your children later, there is consequence to sin. And we have to understand that. And while it's sobering here, what I want us to see is not just to be stuck there in that place, but to see then to take note that there is still compassion that's underlying all of this, right? When we see that God, that the Lord is gracious and merciful, that he's what? Slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. That there's mercy and he's good to all. You know, the key to renewing our worship, church, is refocusing the worship of God by setting our minds on his character and who he is. What does that translate down to? Knowing God. And my question, again, to a question I will leave is, do you know the Lord today? Not in the sense of, you know, when you were a child at six years old and you heard a message and you responded and now you, you knew the Lord. No, have you taken time to know him? Do you walk with him? Do you have relationship? Do you spend time in communion and communication with him? You spend time in his word, understanding more and more who he is. You think about a marriage or or something, a a relationship like that, you know, and in a marriage, most of the time, you spend an exorbitant amount of time together, don't you? Understanding, living with one another, understanding one another, learning each other. That's why, you know, you see a couple that's been married for a minute and they can almost finish finish each other's phrases, can't they? Or their thoughts. You could ask one, well, if we did this and this, what do you think your husband or your wife would say? And they could probably give you a a very close answer. Every time I say something up here about, you know, some things, especially when it involves our kitchen, I know what my wife's response is gonna be. So again, we need to understand today that we need to know God. We need to know God. And here's one thing I wanna leave as before we move on to the next section is even when God's wrath is brought. And this was really intriguing when I came across this. It said, indeed, there is still love in that wrath. For part of the office of love is to destroy all that harms that which he holds most dear, which are his children. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. But when God's wrath is poured out, it's not just about whatever the object of his wrath is. It's because he wants to protect and to keep his children from harm. And I would almost even take a step further. and This isn't a thought I fully thought out, but I'm gonna say it out loud and it's gonna be on video for all eternity. But um, I almost think even when he, when, even at times if his wrath is poured out on people, Sometimes it can be that he loves that person and there's, there needs to be a change. And maybe some of you have seen this even in your own lives. Maybe you were at a place and, and maybe something really bad happened and it was in that point of, of great despair and trouble and turmoil that, that the Lord met you in that place, doesn't he? Why? Because you're broken. You're broken. And sometimes we have to sort of come to that place, especially if we're hard-headed Right? Maybe we're a little prideful, and God wants to come in and say, "Just let go of this." And if if we don't, He'll help us get to that place. Sometimes, um, let's move on to verse again. The, the second part of verse thirteen. There, jump back in at verse thirteen. It says, "The Lord is faithful." This is going to be thankful praise. Thankful praise. Verses thirteen through sixteen. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and, and raises above, or sorry, raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. You see this thought again, this being, just being thankful for God and for who he is. This thought is developed further here. It's, it's not all people that are sovereign. Not all You look at any rulers that are sovereign, if you will, um, they, that, they don't all care for their subjects. Many exploit them to satisfy their own pride and greed, don't they? Has every king been good? Is every king good? Every ruler good? <laughs> no. A lot of times, most of the time, they miss it, don't they? And even when they do something kind of good, it's usually for their own gain, isn't it? Because they want the people to stay in line, or, or this or that, and so again, God is not like that. He uses His sovereignty much differently. He understands our needs. Isn't that amazing? When Jesus came to Earth, you know, God came in the form of man. He walked the Earth. He experienced what it is, you know, to, to lose a loved one. He experienced to be betrayed. Right. He experienced all those things that we deal with. You know, because again. So, when he says he understands, it's not from a point where he's studied his creation. It's because he's been there and he's experienced it and he knows. And while that would be wonderful if you had this wonderful God who, who loves you, and even in your difficulties and your, your hard times, you know, and in those moments of challenge, he, he, he understands, if you will, or he sees you and has compassion, but to take it a step further in that he knows your suffering. That's a game changer, isn't it? It changes everything. And this is why we can trust God and why we can love him and know him because again, he's this God who is so close to us and understands everything we experience. He neglects no one. He neglects knowing. He understands that creation is dependent upon him. And again, in verse 15, the eyes of of all look to you for their food. He understands that they're looking to him. Verse 16, he opens his hand to satisfy the desires of every living thing. Again, he's responding to his creation. He loves his creation. And so again, David is really giving thanks, giving God thanks for it um, on behalf of all creatures. He sees all of creation and he sees God's response. Verses 17 through 20, we see special praise. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Can somebody say amen to that? What a beautiful promise that comes forward here is that he's near. When you call on the Lord, he draws near. To all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him and also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Because God is universal king and benefactor over all things, all, all creation. That's why it says this. It does not mean that there's no distinction between believers and unbelievers, between those who worship him and do not. Because again, when we come to to God through Christ Jesus and we're saved, it's a a game changer. (laughs) Because now, like I said, we're accepted before God. We're accepted in his presence. The wicked, however, are those who ignore him and in favor of some other deity or none at all. I think Leanna, I think a few weeks back, might might have mentioned, I believe in the Sunday service, um, there's a book by Tim Keller called um, Counterfeit Gods. Anybody heard of that one? Have you read it? Did it hurt your feelings? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It'll hurt your feelings a bit but it's it's because you know when we hear counterfeit gods we think of some little idol we think of some little statue somewhere on a shelf but it's not <laughs> it's anything that takes that place of importance in our life more so than God it can be your children it can be a relationship you know, I mean it's it's great. Is it is it wonderful to be married? Yes, it is. It's great to be married. It's great to have that relationship. Is it great to have kids? Yes, it's wonderful to have children. But if you're not careful, the very gifts that God gives us could become the very things that become that take this wrong place in our lives where we're so focused on it. That it takes the place of Him. <laughs> and I think, you know, if we're not careful, you you see I don't know if it was like this in generations past where there's this, there's almost like kids have, have become so elevated. Like I've got to, I've got to do this for my kid and this and this and this and this and this, and, this and, this and I've got to get them there and take them there. And I got them getting him this thing and that thing. And, you know, none of those things might be bad enough themselves, but I'm here to tell you that if, if you're not careful as far as where you put that on your kind of your importance, <laughs> if God's not still Lord over all, and he's not your number one priority. You're in a, a dangerous place. And so you need to be careful. And so if you, if you get a chance to read that Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller, it'll, again, it'll, it'll hurt your feelings for a minute, but it'll challenge you. You know, really open your eyes, I think, to some things that you may not see in your life that maybe need to be put in their right place. We're supposed to worship the gift giver, not the gift, Amen. Seek his, hand, his face, not his hand. And so we need to, again, just be very careful. Let's move on. The last one. That was special praise. And now total praise, verse 21. Total praise. Very simple. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name. Here's that phrase, forever and ever David here returns to his own personal praise with which he began in verse 1. And in doing so, he sums up the psalm and its two aims. First was that the mouth of David himself should, what, speak in praise of the Lord. For as king, he must be an example to God's people. Again, he has to praise the Lord. That's, he's being an example to those that are watching him. Worship team, you can go ahead and come now. Speak praise of the Lord. Again, when we're in our circles of influence, right, when we're out there, when even in our homes or whether our jobs or whatever it is, we need to be reminded that we need to be speaking the praises of the Lord so that people know that we are an example, again, to God's people. And the second point was so that the whole Creation over which God rules and for which he provides should praise his name forever. So speak praise of the Lord and praise his name forever. Those are the two things that need to be taken away. And those are, those are huge statements that have to be followed. You may have noticed that this psalm bears, again, this, this title of, of Praise of David. If it, in your, A lot of your Bibles will have that. And this term is used nowhere else, in the Psalms, to, to describe this, because this is the Psalm. It is, it is truly all about praising the Lord. And we need to, to come back to that place, and we need to be in that place where we are praising the Lord, not just here on a Sunday morning. <laughs> again, when you start your day, on your way here to church, be praising the Lord. And throughout the week, find those times to be praising the Lord. So again, verses one through two was exuberant Praise. Verses 3 through 7, reasonable praise. 8 through 13 was universal praise. 13 through 16, thankful praise. 17 through 20 was special praise. And verse 21 was total praise. And the common theme there, obviously, is praise. Amen. As exiles return to worship, as we've heard throughout this series, it required them to truly embrace God's character, who he is and was. They retrained themselves to read and hear or hear Scripture. That's what we saw at the beginning of this series. You know, they've gathered together and they wanted to hear the Scripture read out loud because it was important. It was vital as they returned to this place of worshiping their God. They were invited to celebrate God's faithfulness to them even when they had not been faithful, right? They put it into practice. And again, it's... It's a reminder to us today that God can be trusted, especially as we consider the work of Jesus and the cross provided for our redemption. Let me tell you, while we were still sinners, his son came, didn't he? He did not die a death on a cross in front of a crowd that was was worthy, if you were, that was yelling his praises, what did he? They were hurling insults. They were spitting on him as he hung there innocent, sent to redeem and to save them. And church, that same God, that same act that happened that that day is so relevant for us today. It is still at work today. His spirit is moving today and God is still active in our everyday lives. And we have to trust that he is active, that he is Moving if we are to sense that he has called us into his presence. You see, I believe that many Christians today have gotten comfortable being and operating and moving and and living outside of the presence of God. And I'm not talking about again, we I think that we've heard these teachings, and I think there's some validation to some of them about emotionalism. I'm not talking about that, but God gave us emotions. And let me explain to you that you think that when God shows up in a room by his spirit, you don't think it's going to elicit any kind of emotional response? It will. I love the Gospel of John chapter 4. Where Jesus is talking to the woman by the well and he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, talking about the Jews, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean exactly? Let me tell you. I was, I was on the gotquestions.org website, and I came across this. I'm going to read it. True worship must be in spirit that is engaging the whole heart. That's what we've talked about. Unless there is real passion for God, there is no worship in spirit. Did you catch that? Unless there is no passion for God, there is no worship in spirit. At the same time, worship must be in truth that is properly informed. Unless we have knowledge of the God we worship, there is no worship in truth. And some places, and more and more, I feel like this is starting to be the case. There are places that might be churches, I don't know for sure, but it says church outside, where they again, they are are saying that they're worshiping, but they're worshiping a God they do not know. Because this book, his word is never open in its entirety. And they want to preach portions that tickle the ears but leave the hearts far away. And so how can they know God if they don't spend time with him, if they don't study his whole word and they don't don't know any of that? How can you ever worship in truth? And so here, my prayer for this body, for this church, and for the church as a whole, again, is to follow the words that, that Jesus laid out here. We need to be in spirit and truth. They both have to be present. And I want to challenge us this morning as we again move into the next few moments as we're going to wrap up here after these songs. We're going to have this time to respond, if you will. That article wraps up with this sentence or this phrase. It says, the more we know about God, the more we appreciate him. And the more we appreciate, the deeper our worship. The deeper our worship, the more God is glorified. How deep is your worship today? Are you bearing your heart to God when you lift your voice and sing? Why do we play music? Why do we sing songs together? It's to bring the unity to the body like that. So we can do it in unison and lift our voices. But I promise you this, that while I'm singing over here in this chair and someone's singing back in the corner there, God is moving and he can be moving in different ways. And my hope for all of you is that you're not just staring at words on a screen, like mindless robots, and just, just moving your mouth. Because can I tell you something today? Don't waste your time. Well, that's kind of a harsh message, Pastor Dell. Yeah, it is. But it's truth, isn't it? That's what was being said here, the spirit and in truth. That's what he said about the Pharisees, your whitewashed tombs, your dead men walking. Why? Because you look the part, but your heart is dead. It is like cold stone, hardened to me. And so I want to leave us in this place right now as we prepare to, again, enter into worship. I would ask you to stand, and we're going to move into our lab time, church. We're going to put it into action. You can stand. You can stand. Go ahead. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm just gonna tell you I you know I look at most of you throughout this sermon but it's not because God is telling me things about each of you maybe some of you so I don't know where you're at today and I know we I'm not talking about styles we have different styles that we worship some of us are quieter some of us are more exuberant but what I'm looking for today and I believe what God is looking for is authenticity he sees your heart I'm not trying to stir up emotional highs i am trying to stir up your heart though through the word of god god's trying to stir your heart and so just for these next few moments listen you're about to step out of here in the the rapid you know waters of the world and your schedule and soccer games i've got to get to a soccer game later you know i mean all that stuff is waiting and it's going to be there but in these next few moments i want to challenge you to give them to the lord he wants to meet you in this place today and in this time Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these next moments as we truly lift up our voices in one accord to you. God, we need you. Whether we realize that today or not, we need you. We need your presence here. We want to have, again, uh, a moment, Lord, where we just are able to, to know and connect with you, both in spirit and in truth. Let us not just move our lips. But God, let our hearts be moved towards you as we recognize how amazing and how worthy you are of our praise. God, we thank you for that in Jesus' name.